Chief information officers are an important part of the CXO Talk community. And that's why we have a special show today. We are speaking about change and offering practical advice for CIOs how to manage change. I'm Michael Craigsman. I'm an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk. And I'm so happy to welcome for episode number 287, episode 287, Isaac Sokolik, who is known as Star CIO. He advises CIOs, and he's written a book called, 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 Driving Digital, by Driving Digital. I want to remind you that at this moment, there is a tweet chat happening. Go to Twitter using the hashtag CXOTalk, and you can participate, add your thoughts, and ask questions for Isaac. Now, before I say hi to Isaac, tell a friend. Ask your friends to come. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your coworkers for sure, and please, please subscribe on YouTube. That helps us out a lot, so subscribe on YouTube. Without further ado, I'm really happy to welcome back to CXO Talk, Isaac Sokolik. Hey, Isaac, how are you, and thank you for being here. Thanks, Michael. I'm really happy to be back. Uh, we just did a show a few weeks ago, and I'm really excited to dive into the topic of change management and change that the CIO has to manage through. So, Isaac, uh, tell us about your book, Driving Digital. What's, what's the focus? Focus is, uh, it, the book is really aimed at CIOs, their direct reports, chief digital officers, really anybody who's leading change and technology uh, in their organizations. Um, I, my background, I've done 10 years of being a startup CTO, so that's really my DNA of how to run fast-moving organizations. And then I did another 10 years of being a transformational CIO in data and content-oriented businesses. And uh, I've been blogging. I've been speaking alongside those. I felt I had built a number of key practices that were very practical um, and easy to apply. Uh, and they were really the instruments of what I used to do change and to transform and build up technology practices uh, in the organizations that I worked with and really helped uh, the businesses go from um, their legacy businesses into modernized ones. So I felt I needed to write the book. I had a great time doing that. Uh, it came out in August. It's doing phenomenally well. And uh, I hope you guys all pick it up and we'll talk about some topics from the book during the show. Okay, well, congratulations on the book. So, so Isaac, when you talk about transformation, transformation by its nature means change. And let's, let's begin with the notion, and maybe this is an obvious question, but why should CIOs care so profoundly about change? Right, it's a dumb question, but let's, let's begin with maybe what's obvious, and maybe there's some things that are not so obvious about that. Well, yeah, maybe it's not so obvious to start out with. I mean, so much of our history was just keeping the lights on and keeping applications running and keeping things secure and, you know, reporting on SLAs and uptime and, and, and servicing tickets. I mean, that was the heartbeat of your typical IT organization until the last 10 or 20 years when the internet came out and mobile came out and then later cloud came out. Uh, and so, yeah, we're sort of used to technology change, 
but now we're at a point over the last five years in particular when the availability of technology is um, easy to access to most organizations. The, the talent may not be there, but the technology is there. And uh, a lot of these technologies have um, can have huge impact in terms of how we service customers, um, how our organizations work with data and analytics, um, how we build customer experiences out, how we make our salespeople smarter about uh, what prospects to go after, how we market our services. Um, technology is the underpinning of how all of our businesses are operating. And so now we're not just running things. We are part of a team that is bringing technology and practices in a very collaborative way across our organization to help us compete better, to help us think through what our new products and services are going to look like um, as we digitize them, whether it's using artificial intelligence or putting blockchain in or building mobile applications, all of those things are factored. And so the CIO's role in the last five years in particular is transformed from one of back office, keep the lights on to an enabler, to one that's running uh, collaborative programs to get more people in the organization involved. And that's the nature of our business today. Okay, but but so so is this conversation a technology conversation or a business conversation? What are we talking about? We're actually talking about a people conversation first, right? So to get any kind of transformation program running, it involves working with people and giving them a state, a sense of what the new mission is and giving them a voice in what that new mission is. It's getting their participation in terms of how to execute and how to part and how to actually implement something. Uh, you know, so really transformation starts with people. Um, you know, strategy um, helps align where we're going and why we're doing certain things. Uh, the why is really important because once you have a, a good definition of why certain markets are attractive or why certain experiences have to be improved on or why certain types of customers are the ones we have to focus on, then you can rely on people to use their innovation, use their expertise um, collaborate as a team and come up with what are the goals, what are the methodologies that we have to go after. Um, and then lastly, it's a technology question. I mean, it, we used to think technology first, but it's really about getting the people aligned and then finding the right applicable technologies and then scaling them. So frankly, uh, what does all of this have to do with CIOs? Why should CIOs care, care about this stuff? Well, you know, CIOs, first of all, have always had a vantage point of how the entire um, organization operates. What are the underlying processes? What are all the underlying systems? They have a, a pretty good starting point in terms of getting a sense of what the current state of the operation is. That's the first part. The second part is, you know, we used to live in a world where requirements were done separate from the implementation. And so a business team could go and figure out some things that they wanted to do. You know, maybe it was a new reporting solution. Maybe it was an upgrade to the ERP. Maybe it was a new mobile application. And then they'd come back to IT or maybe even a third party with requirements to go implement. We know, know that that's not a good recipe for success. It leads to project failures. It leads to poor customer experiences. And so it needs to be done collaboratively. It turns out 
that one of the most effective processes to be able to do this has come out of the technology world. It started in software companies. Um, many enterprises have adopted it. It's basic agile practices. And you know the reason why that's so important in transformation programs is it brings business and IT people working to, together as a team. It brings the ability to prioritize every sprint every two to four weeks, whatever your sprint length is, uh, based on feedback. And that feedback can come from teams. It can come from markets. It can come from key customers. So you're always prioritizing. Um, it allows um, um, the team to communicate where their struggles are. They do that in the forms of blocks um, and stand-ups where they discuss these things. Um, and lastly, and this is probably the most important thing, is they do demos at the end of a sprint they get the entire organization involved looking at and championing what the team has accomplished. And that's a way of getting more people involved in the program. What is this group doing? Well, come to the demo and see what we're doing. Uh, and then let's talk afterward and see if we can get you on board and helping us out because your knowledge is so key to what we're trying to accomplish. Um, so that, that's why CIOs need to be involved in care. We really do have a lot of the fundamental practices that can help an organization change. It sounds like you have fallen to uh, fallen on agile as a, a kind of key method or key approach for aligning the CIO to the needs and the interests of uh, the business partners inside the company. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, chapter two of my book for a reason. Um, it's the first practice I brought in as a CIO uh, when I was doing CIO work. Uh, it's the first thing I look at when I work with clients today as uh, running my own business called Star CIO. Um, the reason is, is it is the vehicle for implementing change. Uh, it is the vehicle for developing collaborative teams with different skill sets um, it has mechanisms to, for teams to focus on the short term. So I'm, co I'm committing what I can do in the next two weeks. I can tell you with some certainty what the outcome is going to look like. Um, it has mechanisms for prioritizing, which is really important when you want to factor in risk and feedback into the process. Um, it has a way of championing uh, the demos, as I discussed, uh, to get more people involved. So it's really got all the ingredients um, to bring teams together to think through hard problems, but also to think through and execute on small bite-sized chunks that ultimately lead up to a full program that delivers business value. I want to remind everybody that we're speaking with Isaac Sokolik, who is the author of Driving Digital, which is really a manual for chief information officers. And right now, there is a tweet chat taking place using the hashtag CXOTalk. So please join in and don't forget, you know, just tell your friends, tell your family. I mean, let's get, let's get people watching and joining us on Twitter. And we have a, a comment from Arsalan Khan on Twitter who talks about digital transformation. And he says that it's such a vague term because going digital and transformation mean different things to people inside, to different people inside the same organization. So maybe talk about digital transformation and how is that different and the implications for chief information officers, for the CIO? Yeah. So, you know, you have to put a number of elements together to really understand why digital is a little bit different than other transformation eras that we've lived through as CIOs. 
you know, first and foremost, um, you know, what really woke people up to something's different here is that the business models are changing. Uh, we've have companies that are driving revenue through subscription-oriented businesses. We have highly asset-light businesses that can connect marketplaces or buyers and sellers without owning any of the underlying assets. Um, these are have become hugely disruptive in things like travel and hospitality and other places. Uh, we have technology that can replace entire businesses. In the book, I talk about how um, the iPhone coming out with GPS um, basically replaced all of Garmin's chief business of, of putting uh, GPSs in your cars. Um, so there's enormous change that's happening. Um, some of it is technology driven. Some of it is business model driven. Um, but we can all relate to to one a couple of aspects of it. One is that um, customers, consumers have lots of choice today. You know, you as a CIO have choice about whether you go to Azure or you go to AWS or whether you go to Bluemix. You have choices about whether you want to develop in JavaScript or PHP or Java. You know, those are choices and the switching costs for some of these things aren't as expensive as they used to be. Um, and then you have complete alternatives, right? You can go build technology today on NoSQL or SQL platforms, or you can use low-code platforms and avoid development entirely. You can do it outsourced or insourced. So when you look at your supply chain and you look at what your customers can buy from you, they have enormous options today. And that so that's why the customer experience becomes so important because you know that when it's easy, when it's fun, when it's informative, when it's convenient, uh, and when it's you know price sensitive, um, those are things that you're going to gravitate to as a consumer buyer. And the same thing is true for a business buyer. When you have a reputable um, service that you can connect to, when they're reliable, when they're constantly updating their service with new features and new capabilities, when they're secure, you're more likely to stay with those groups. And then if not, you're going to look for alternatives. So that's the nature of um, of of how businesses are operated today, mm-hmm. um, then throw in you know analytics and data as a competitive advantage. You know how do you become faster, smarter than your competitors? Uh, throw in um, any number of emerging technologies that can be huge game changers. You know so I think about in the automotive in- industry, autonomous vehicles. If you're in that industry and you're not thinking about what the impact is going to be when those technologies start becoming mainstream, you're going to be left behind because you know that's a three, five, ten year horizon uh, to build out a new set of services that revolve around that. So that, that's the nature of digital. And the nature of transformation is thinking through what your business needs to look like in three, five, seven-year horizons and plotting out a strategy that is um, not a fixed endpoint, but a cloudy endpoint, one that can take feedback and learning how to adopt your organization to that future. So clearly, there's a great deal of change that's going on from the point of view of the CIO. So the CIO is in this position of seeing across the organization, as you described earlier. The CIO, when we talk about data and analytics, clearly we're talking about technology. But the question becomes, where, how can the CIO plug into the opportunities that are created by these factors, these forces, and where is it appropriate for the CIO to plug in and take ownership? And where is it appropriate for the CIO for it to live out 
outside of IT? And what are the implications of that, of technology living outside IT in some cases? What are the implications for the CIO and for IT? So let's talk about this in, in a couple of examples, right? So if you want to understand you know, what the implications are, um, get outside of the walls of IT and go do a sales call with a bunch of salespeople and see how your customers are using the product. Uh, or go learn and feel how your marketing organization is operating and see what their KPIs are and what they're trying to accomplish and see the tools that they are using to, to achieve their goals. Now, I'm starting with sales and marketing because one of the things that's so different about digital transformation than in other things is that we're trying to impact customers. We're trying to impact growth and revenue potential. There's no better place to start if you're going to learn that side of the business than go and sit with your sales and marketing groups and see how they're operating today. And you're going to see a lot of different things when you do that. You're going to see, you know, maybe some broken IT functions in terms of what devices they're using. Maybe you're going to see a lot of email and spreadsheets moving around. You're going to see uh, uh, marketing departments using dozens of different tools. Um, there, there's a, a, a guy out there, Chief MarkTech, who puts out a, a dashboard of thousands, I think it's up to 6,000 different marketing technologies out there. Oh, yes. Um, my old my old buddy, uh, Scott Brinker. That's right. Who's that's been on this show at least uh, a couple of times, actually. Yeah. So, Scott just put it out. I think it's almost 7,000 tech uh, companies and products that are on his dashboard now. And so, think about that from the world of the CMO who has access to go buy all this technology, but no capability to integrate it and is being asked to go put out uh, information back to the executive board in terms of how their uh, marketing campaigns are performing. Um, or the sales group who you know needs to uh, balance um, activities that they're doing inside and outside of the walls of the office in terms of being able to talk to prospects and, uh, and engage customers. These are things that you're going to see if you go out and work with them. And it's going to change your perspective uh, in terms of what technologies uh, can do for them, um, what integration is required, um, how to think through what the implications of are of security. Um, you know, the more you're pushing data and analytics to the edge, the more you have to think about the security and, and locking down that data. Um, and so, you know, you, you mentioned about the different types of technology. You know, it's very difficult for an internal IT team to have a complete perspective of what they can do and what they can build uh, for their sales and marketing teams. And so a lot of what um, the technology has changed to over the last few years is empower people outside of the IT organization to do things technically that they can't easily do inside. So build dashboards um, with a technology like Tableau or do data prep work um, so that they can bring new data sources in from their different marketing uh, programs um, or provide lighter weight mobile devices that are open uh, to using different solutions so that a salesperson could be a little bit more effective using the solutions that they know. This is about democratizing the technology that you're using. Um, finding the right um, practices that make it effective, uh, finding ways to integrate data. Uh, and that's what I talk to IT organizations about today is how to uh, partner with the business in terms of the right technology selections, the right practices to make that effective. 
What are the challenges that CIOs face in trying to accomplish this, can we say, unification with the business? Well, you know, IT staff is also learning. Um, you know, some of them are programmers. Some of them have been doing service desk. And, uh, you know, we've spent years building up the practices and the technologies to make them effective and efficient at it. So, you know, go to a programmer and tell them, you know, we want you to be more solution oriented and to go work with the business and, uh, you know, find and work with um, some low code platforms to enable building mobile applications. Maybe that developer has been coding in Java their whole career and likes coding in Java. And now you're telling them to go work with a higher level language. Um, go to an engineer who's been operating in the data center and uh, you know configuring networks and finding out why the SAN hasn't been performing well. And, and now you're gonna go to them and say, you know, not only are we moving to the cloud, uh, but our, you know, our role in moving to the cloud is automation and scripting and monitoring and being able to respond to a, a new set of security issues we never had to deal with before. These are completely new skill sets, new capabilities for most people who've been in IT for a few years. Um, they're expected to learn them on their own. Um, and that's why becoming a learning organization is so important. Um, and they don't really necessarily have all the vantage point of what they're doing and how that impacts the business. So there's a lot of um, uh, cross collaboration that needs to happen to make that work. And the smartest CIOs are going to take their some of their IT people and put them in the business and learn the business functions. And they're also going to take some business people and put them in the IT function and let them learn, you know, how long it takes to go operate something or what level of specificity it needs to be at to write a requirement. Um, and that's part of getting a new collaborative organization running. We have a comment or question from Twitter and Chris Peterson asks, and I'm paraphrasing here, is there any organization out there that's not starting to pay attention to this stuff? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, <laughs> when you're out in the field a little bit, I don't think it's binary black and white. Uh, what I think about it as is, are, are you going fast enough? You know, are you going to beat the disruption curve that's happening in your industry? And are you going to do it in a way that leaves a sustainable IT and technology practice and business practice when you're done? Or are you going to leave a, a new set of legacy behind that, you know, a next generation of technologists have to deal with? So let, let's talk about both of those for a second. You know, not moving fast enough is what happened to the newspaper industry. I was a part of that. I did um, a, a SaaS company that operated in that space, uh, very much a print-oriented product, became a very digital product, became um, an advertising product that was um, generating less revenue, which forced the newsrooms to accommodate and run at a lower cost. It required a completely different engagement model with, with uh, subscribers and advertisers. Uh, and it brought in a whole new set of competitors um, that were digital native competitors. 
Um, that process started in 1999, and I think the battle was more or less lost by 2002 or three. And they're still trying to find a way to make news profitable again and to build up subscribers again. So this this happened in, in media very quickly. I think it's going to happen um, in our generation in this decade with banks. Uh, you hear about uh, uh, bank closures, you know, uh, because they can't figure out why are people going to go to the physical bank when you can do everything mobile. And, you know, when you can do everything mobile, it's pretty ubiquitous. It's pretty, it's, it, it's a commodity in terms of the user experience. So banks really need to figure out how they're going to deliver competitive edges to their end users. So I think a lot of it is not who's not doing it. I think it's, are you doing it fast enough? Um, so that you can stay ahead of the disruptive curve. And the other side of it is, um, are you building things that are truly sustainable? It's not like as if we've never built technology or new practices before, um, but the ecosystem that we build things in is much more open. Uh, we're doing things with APIs that cross our domains from our uh, technology to somebody else's technology. We're configuring things in SaaS products. We're putting things in multiple clouds. Um, and the question is, are you doing it with sustainable practices? Are you putting automated testing in um, when you build a new application? And, you know, if you don't put automated testing in three years from now, how are you going to know whether a change that you want to do isn't going to break something? You know, if you invest in automated testing as part of your development today, you at least have a set of test cases that tell you, hey, you built something that's broken. Uh, when you move to the cloud and you put a new application on the cloud, are you following what we used to do and have 20, 30, 40 point checklists to be able to deploy that application into the environment? Or are you building a, a continuous integration, continuous delivery pipeline, a CICD pipeline that automates this? Um, are you putting your infrastructure and scripting it with code so that the entire environment is scriptable, it's portable if you're using containers? Um, all these things are designed so that, that the IT operation of the future can support the applications that you're building today. And I, so I think that's another big piece that CIOs have to think about as they invest more. So they need to be thinking about the technology of uh, efficiency and agility inside IT so that I can be, uh, IT can be responsive very quickly to business needs, along with the talent and the culture and the, the business transformation aspects. Uh, we, ha we have a question from Twitter, and Pablo Pinto asks, what about shadow IT? Should CIOs uh, let it happen, be concerned about it, or just simply accept the fact that IT and the dev team is not always available to build product for non-technical business units and essentially outsource this to, to the folks on the ground inside the... And I guess there's... Uh, <laughs> maybe bring in the whole low-code discussion because that seems quite relevant here at the same time. Yeah, so the first thing I would tell organizations that are worried about shadow IT is look at it as a missed opportunity, right? That organization needed technology and decided to go shopping on their own and buying on their own, decided not to partner with IT in terms of, you know, what is a best practice in terms of what to look for. It is a missed opportunity. Um, and so it requires starting with building relationships, right? So understanding what that group needs, understanding what their deficiencies are, 
Um, that's an investment CIOs have to make, right? So that doesn't come for free. Um, I used to work with my team and, and really do a mapping and say, you know, this person's going to build a relationship with this executive or maybe not even the executive. Maybe it's somebody that reports to the executive um, and help them uh, understand what their uh, opportunities are and what their needs are and go out and build uh, a, a pipeline of activities for those uh, business sponsors. So I think the very first thing that a CIO has to think about is um, how to build and build build those relationships up. And as you do that, you know, there are many, many options today for how to service an organization without investing a lot in new technology and a new IT. Uh, Michael mentioned low code. This is something that I've been writing about and using for about 20 years. Um, I, you know, I've said that this is probably the most important technology that a CIO needs to look at. And the reason is, is that we're being asked to do more technology and in particular, more application development than we've ever done before. We're doing more customer facing. We have to automate more things. Automation is code. We're being asked to deliver new workflows and collaboration tools with our organization. We need to connect new data sources and Quite frankly, if you try to do that in native platforms and knowing, you know, if you follow what Gartner says, our budgets maybe increase every, you know, 3% every year on average, you're going to run out of runway, financial runway or talent runway to do these things natively. So you need to find ways to do things more efficiently. Um, and sometimes that can be done with low-code platforms. Sometimes that can be done with um, citizen data science programs. Sometimes you go back to the business and say, let's not reinvent a new process here. Let's look at some best practices that are built into the platforms, whether it's a content management system that has a very easy um, process for approving content or uh, a CRM that has a standard way to manage a sales pipeline. And your role as a CIO is to educate. Here's what these systems are designed to do out of the box. They're built on best practices and see how to fit a process into that rather than building one on your own. So that's another tool that CIOs have to think about in terms of educating their their, uh, their organizations. Now, as you do that and you get better at it, um, what I have found over the course of time is that you end up with fewer uh, instances where people are looking for their own solutions. And to close off the you know maybe the last 10, 15%, you really need to partner with the CFO. You know, let them know what the issues are with shadow IT, demonstrate it in cost, um, demonstrate your willingness to partner with your, your colleagues and other businesses, and elicit a governance process so that when somebody goes out and procures their own technology, they're less likely to get an approval for something like that. Talk to us more about the CIO partnering with the chief financial officer. I think that is a, an overlooked part of the, and especially, I was going to say an overlooked part of the equa equation. I need to stop interrupting myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, look, CFOs um, historically have, have had a similar role as CIOs sitting on the periphery in terms of how the business is operating, reporting on things, um, controlling things when you have uh, a better uh, sense of and practice working with your colleagues. And, you know, so much more now is about investment and change and transformation. 
Um, CFOs want to be a part of that. They're the ones who can find money when there's investment needed. They're the ones that you have to convince as a CIO that when you make an investment, when you're going to pilot a new process or technology or partner with someone, you know, the CFO's inclination is, tell me what the ROI is. Tell me when the project is done. And historically, CIOs have a hard time answering that. We don't know when the project is done. It's an ongoing agile process. We don't know uh, when the ROI is going to materialize. So many other factors outside of the CIO's control factor in on you know, how fast their business units adopt it or um, whether or not customers are going to have success with the platform that you're putting out. Um, so, you know, by partnering with them and making them a part of the process to see how you're building things, um, the timeline it takes to do that, how you're learning and evolving the operation as you're getting smarter with it, what are some of the early indicators that what you're investing in is working, uh, what are some of the speed bumps that you're having, that's part of building that relationship so that they're not surprised, um, so that they understand um the short-term impacts of what's being built out. Um, and, you know, just like today, there's a new breed of CIOs looking to partner with the business. Um, look at your CFO the same way. They have a new vantage point. They understand the, many of them understand that their existing business is not going to be what they can rely on over the next three to five years. And they're looking for solutions around it as well. Okay, we have uh, a couple of really, really good questions from Twitter right now, um, and I'm, and we're going to run out of time, so I'll ask you to answer these relatively quickly. Uh, Arsalan Khan talking about the CFO, and he so I, I totally get what you're saying that the CFO is an overlooked source of support, moral support, transformational support, the all important budgetary support. Yes. Okay, but Arsalan Khan wants to know. What about when a CIO reports to, uh, and I'm reading, I'm reading from Twitter and I'm, and I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing, when the CIO reports to a CFO who is non-technical and who views IT as a cost center, and basically, you know what, what happens then. They, so you tell us, what happens then and, how, and what, do we, what do we do about that? It's a good question. Yeah, you know, so so look, there there're going to be detractors in your organization that are going to make it difficult for you to execute a transformation program. It is particularly difficult if one of those people is your boss and one of those people is looking at dollars and cents and cost cutting as the only vehicle for your organization to support a, a transformation program. Your objective in as a CIO is to build relationship outside of your boss, outside of your CFO, and let them start understanding what your capabilities are um, and demanding that you are part of the program to change things. So go meet your CMO and find out what you can do to service them. Um, and put in the extra five to 10 hours a week to build a partnership there. Go meet your head of sales and find out what you can do for them that provides more information about how they're performing. Um, go out, go to your GMs. You know, GMs, you know, need to understand how the business is operating as well. So build relationships outside of your CFO who are going to create demand for your services. 
Um, make sure those other uh, stakeholders have a vantage point about what you can deliver for them. And then go with them to the CFO about what types of things that you want to do. Okay. And that's the first thing that you got to do to get out of that situation. Right. And then as you are becoming smarter with, about how the business operates and you're building new partnerships up, that's really, you know, you're launching ground to start building a direct relationship with the CEO and let them realize that you need a seat at the table and that the, uh, the reporting relationship needs to change over time. But you got to start small with that. That's, that's really, really good advice. Essentially, what you're saying is the solution to the problem of your boss or the CFO blocking your initiatives is to take the time earlier to establish those relationships and really invest. That, that's basically what you're saying. Yeah. And, and, you know, look, it, invest in relationships might sound like big, scary words. Sometimes it's a lot more simple than that. You know, find out the three or four things that are really slowing them down and fix it. You know, find somebody to go fix those things for them. So it doesn't have to, you know, start with some small stuff. Stuff start with, you know, who in those organizations you can partner with. Um, outside of the CMO or outside of the GM, who are the ones who are really going to impact change in those organizations and make them successful? Um, and then look at then start looking at the longer term things. So essentially, uh, conduct your own influencer marketing campaign. Basically, ah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, another big word. Yes, I mean that's that's essentially what we're talking about. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the way you get at it is, you know, start at the bottoms up, you know, look at how people are operating in those departments. Um, I guarantee you're going to find places where practice and technology can be impactful. I've never seen, you know, if you look at a typical marketing organization, they have a funnel of work coming in. Um, if you, if you understand Kanban, it's going to look a lot like a Kanban process, Help them use your agile tools to run a Kanban process for them. They are equally as overwhelmed in terms of how many different requests are coming to them. Um, and they probably have fewer tools than you do um, to go manage those things. So, you know, the more you learn about how they're operating, you're going to get the feeling where technology can help. Um, it's going to force you to go shopping and learn, being smarter about what technology op options there are around that. That's going to address the shadow IT if that's a problem. It's going to set up a partnership with you with a, a, a business partner where you're just demonstrating things that have short-term impact. And then you can start looking at, you know, what's going to be the impact if I bring in a technology that integrate six of your different data sources and gives you a way to manage this data, then you can have that conversation. Okay, and fair enough. And now we have uh, another interesting question from Chris Peterson. And again, you'll uh, this time we're really going to run out of time, so it's going to have to be pretty quick. Uh, do Chris Peterson asks, going back to low code, uh, do some of the low code platforms create their own vendor lock-in with artifacts that only work? with one or the other. So basically it's the downside or the risk. So we've spoken about the advantages of low code. What are the risks and how do you mitigate those risks to take advantage of the capabilities? Yeah, so first thing to understand about low code is that there are two different types of platforms. There's the platforms that aim to make developers more productive, um, but they are effective development environments and you're still building applications. 
Um, and then there's environments that are, you know, some of us call them citizen development platforms. Forrester calls them um, low code for business developers. These are platforms that enable your business users to actually build their own workflows and their own capabilities. So number one is make sure you understand what problem you're trying to solve. Uh, because how you eva evaluate these technologies is a little bit different. Now, in low code uh, for developers, you know, I am looking at the portability of that platform, and I am looking at um, the efficiency and the productivity that improves with my team. I'm looking at those two dimensions when I've talked to um, the, the platform providers in those spaces. I'm very upfront with them. And that's how you should be as a CIO working in these spaces and say, look, show me how this is more productive. Show me what the code footprint looks like, what that you generate. Are you generating code that is um, in, in a native language that I can go see and use and port over? Show If you're generating .NET or generating Java code, show me what this code looks like in case I need to go use it. Um, show me an example of a customer that's moved over um, if they've required to move over to another platform. So if they are generating native code, go and investigate it. If they're not, and, and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go and use them, you know, the other dimension to go look at is the volume of configuration and um, complexity that it's creating. If, if you can look at this thing and say, I can go into a tool and reverse engineer what this thing is behind the scenes very quickly, then your lock-in isn't as big as it might look. Um, and, uh, you know, your speed to market may be more important for you to that. If you can roll out 10 applications in eight months with that platform and move your business forward, then, you know, if you have to move one of those natively over two years because it's outgrown what that platform can do, you've just bought yourself a couple of years of productivity before that. All right. Now, finally, to summarize, what are the top two or three pieces of advice that you would give CIOs who are looking and looking at this and saying, you know, I need to do this too. What what should they do? What where should they where should they begin? And what are the pitfalls, the challenges that they're going to face trying to do it? Well, you know, two things we talked a lot about in this uh, CXO talk. Number one, get out of the office, build up relationship with your business partners, do it bottoms up so that you can deliver short-term wins for them demonstrate that you have the capability of delivering technology on a regular basis for them. Um, so that's the very first thing. Um, don't just do it with yourself. Do it with your staff. Make them accountable for building relationships and coming to you and saying to you what they've learned, what are the opportunities, what are we missing over here. Um, so engage your entire staff on doing that. Uh, and number two, um, like I said in my book, Driving Digital, Go out and really practice and learn how to not only do agile practices, but bring business members into that uh, practice. It's not just an IT practice for delivering software. It really is a business process. Um, so go beyond just the fundamentals of the process, you know, beyond scrums and, and stand-ups and so forth, and make sure that your business team knows how to prioritize and knows how to respond to what they're seeing in a demo. Um, and then even go beyond that. Think through what are my barriers to having an agile mindset, 
right? So if you try to take a fixed cost project and run it as an agile process, you can do that, but you really don't have an agile mindset going on in your group and they're not listening to feedback and recognizing that they want to make decisions along the way. So, you know, the two things I would do there is, you know, relationship building and really home in on an organizational wide agile practice. And then the other things will come in easier after that. Okay. What a fast moving 45 minutes this has been with a wealth of practical advice. Isaac Sokolik, I want to thank you so much for taking your time and, and being with us today. Thank you. And, you know, I hope to be the Tom Hanks of CXO Talk and and come back to the Saturday Night Live three or four more times over the next few years. I love it. The Tom Hanks of CXO Talk. Well, you got it. That role role belongs to you, dude. (laughs) Thank you. Well, we have been speaking on episode number 287 with Isaac Sokolik. He is the author of... There we go. Driving Digital. It's a good book. Great. It's like it's a how-to manual for CIOs. Thank you so much, everybody, for watching. Right now, tell a friend. The replay is there. Tell a friend. Watch it. Subscribe on YouTube. And especially subscribe, 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 subscribe on YouTube. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great day. And uh, go to CXOTalk.com. There's a lot of other videos there. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.